my question this week is decidedly off-brand for us, and it's because it was something that kind of came to my mind earlier this week, and I really wanted to know, you know, how you guys also react to some of these things. So my question is, you know, regardless of how silly or unbelievable or whatever, what's the biggest superstition that you still subscribe to? Um, Tabitha, I'm really excited to hear about what you have to say. Um, so I had a very strange, uh, grandmother. Um, she's technically my great grandmother and she was the most superstitious person probably in the entire world, like threw salt over her shoulder, like would yell at you for like any small infraction that she thought might bring bad juju, bad luck on her home. Um, the one that, like, I mean, all of them for me, like, don't walk under a ladder, black cats are bad luck, you open an umbrella in my house, I'm probably calling a priest. Um, <laughs> there's just literally a laundry list of them. Um, however, my biggest superstition is crows. Um, a friend of mine and I actually went on a road trip two years ago, and I was leaving straight after work, and I walked out, and there was a crow sitting on my car, and I literally almost canceled my trip because there was a crow sitting on my car, and I'm like, well... This is how I die. This is how I go. So what, um, what, does, that, what does that mean? The, I've never heard all, this. Like it's bringing death, like crows bring death. Oh. Yeah. Uh -huh. it's, a, it's basically a bad omen. But yeah, I see a crow and I immediately assume someone's going to die. I get bad chills in my head. My brain automatically tells me that someone just walked over my grave. Um, I spill something and it like, like turns into a circle on the floor. Like I think it's bad luck. Like it's just... I don't, I don't outwardly, like, scold people for them like my grandma used to, but, like, if I do it, then I'm super paranoid. I did break a mirror once, and I cried because I was like, well, there goes the next seven years. <laughs> <laughs> it's little stuff, but uh, the crows thing is the, the thing that freaks me out still the most. Like, if I'm driving down the road and I see, like, three crows flying, I'm like, well, three people I know are going to die today. Like, I just, it's my brain. Matt, what about you? Um, so other than like some of the like more common sense things like don't open an umbrella in the house, um, don't walk under a ladder. Um, I, I don't necessarily not do those because they're superstitious, but just because like there's no point in opening an umbrella in the house and it's not safe to walk under a ladder. Um, I, I don't know. I just have a few things that I do I don't know that religious, religiously is the right word, but like, like I brush my teeth the same way every day. Um, you know, like when I get out of the shower, I dry myself off in the exact same pattern. Um, and it's not like if I don't do it, I think I'm going to have a bad day or I'm going to have bad luck. I, it's just, I don't know, habit. That's called obsessive compulsive disorder, my dear. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's not superstition; it's just OCD. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did. I did forget about my favorite one that I uh, that I do on a regular basis. Like you will very rarely see me put a crust or any kind of baked good in my oven without putting an X on top of it because that lets the devil out of your baked goods. Really? Mm -hmm. I've never heard that one either. Yeah, I, uh, I remember making biscuits with my grandma, and I would go to put them in the oven, and if I didn't have crosses or X's cut on top of my biscuits, she would yell at me and tell me that 
I didn't let the devil out, so they weren't going to work. But it's just baking science that there needs somewhere for the heat to go so it doesn't break. But <laughs> in grandma speak, that meant the devil was in my bread. So <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Um, for me, I uh, like one thing that I always do. I mean, like. I, I don't believe it. I mean, as, as many wishes that I've done on them, like th that haven't come true. Like I know that it's not a thing, but every time I get an eyelash, I always make a wish on it. Um, but here is what spawned this entire thing. Um, to this day, if I'm in the bathroom and, you know, if I turn the lights off, but I'm still in there, you know, I, I always think about it. I'm like, hey, don't say Bloody Mary three times because then you're going to switch uh, souls or whatever with the, you know, or, or no, it's Bloody Mary will inhabit your soul or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, I don't, I don't want that girl in my life. So I better not say it. But like, even as somebody in his mid thirties, that is still something that I think of. Like I, and sometimes, yeah, I'll do it. Like I'll turn off the light and I'm still like standing in front of the mirror and I'm kind of like, is this, is this today? Is this today? I mean, do like, you frequently say Bloody Mary in your bathroom? I never have. <laughs> right, but, but you have to say it three times. Like, you have, like, that is, like, one of those things that you have to, like, be trying to do. Right. I, I guess, I guess one of these days I'm just going to really not going to want to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens. Crop, caution to the wind. Or maybe you'll say it three times when we get to work. There will be a drink at the end of the bar for you. Yeah, but see, I don't like Bloody Marys. Oh. Mm, I can't help you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in, every, in every facet, I don't like Bloody Marys. I don't care how many olives you have on top of it. You don't have to have olives. It's better without. It's not. <laughs> <laughs>
the va- I, I don't know. I know that there's going to be a lot of people vaccinated. I know that there's more people every day. But I think to get the vast majority of the United States population vaccinated, which it would have to happen before I would really feel comfortable going to something like a con. Yeah. And plus, like, and I'm not, I'm not knocking Wizard World for this, like, specifically. But you got to think, too. I mean, like, you know, this is going to be, if, you know, the one in Chicago still happens, you know, as planned, like, it's not even necessarily going to be the first convention for Wizard World, but it's probably going to be one of the first in-world or in-person conventions, period, you know, since things have been reopened. And I don't know that I want to be a part of that learning curve, you know, like a lot of, a lot of changes are going to have to be made. Honestly, probably, you know, for the next few years when it comes to conventions and that's, Sounds, you know, sounds frustrating. Yeah, I think there's also, if it actually like happens in August, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny regarding mm-hmm. the event mm-hmm. and the, I don't know, not, not, I, hate to, I hate to say it this way, but I can't think of another word, the fallout that would occur after the fact. You know, like even what, like the last spring or summer, like the Sturgis motorcycle rally, like oh, decided yeah. we're going to go on anyways, even though it was outdoors and this and that. And then they traced something like 200,000 cases of COVID to Sturgis. Like that, that kind of microscope, no pun intended, is going to be put on Wizard World, you know, if it happens in August. Yeah. But, you know, on the flip side, I mean, regardless of, you know, who puts it on or whatever, like, yeah, like somebody's got to be the first, so... Yeah, I mean, more power, you know, more power to them. Um, and I know we had kind of talked about C2E2, like, in our, you know, group chat, and how, like, we all kind of feel that December, even December, might still be too early. Uh, kind of the same thing with, uh, with C2E2, you know, is how I'm feeling with Wizard World. Like, I'm personally, I'm probably, like, 80-20 in terms of not going this year. Um, I think, I think I would still go, but a lot of things have to fall into place and kind of like what you're saying, Tabitha, I don't know that they're going to. Yeah. With the way things are going, like I've kind of chalked 2020 up to just another, or 2020, I don't even know what year it is, guys, uh, <laughs> to being just another version of 2020. Like people didn't listen and didn't do what they could have done and we're past the time when anything that we're doing is really going to make much of a difference other than being vaccinated. So yeah, we're either at the, the herd immunity or the vaccine stage. Yeah. Yeah. And like people I feel like are getting kind of lax about it and like, that's fine. Like you're taking your own, you know, that's your own business. But like, I think people aren't, take it into effect like the trickle down like that's that's my biggest thing like if I get it I'm fairly certain I would be okay but like what if I took it to work and I gave it to someone who is immunocompromised or Mm -hmm. you know whatever like people don't think about it like that because they're like people and and humans are selfish and awful 
and it's just who we are right now. But I can't, I cannot imagine, like, I can't watch crowds on TV right now in movies that were filmed in 2005. Like, I'm like, oh my God, why are you guys all so close together? What are you doing? Like, <laughs> Where are your masks? Right? Yep. <laughs> or like, I was reading a book and they were like talking about like, like sharing a drink and I'm like oh my god can you imagine like <laughs> do you know in college how many strange girls walked up and were like oh my god what's that and I'm like oh yeah you want to try it like I could never know I could <laughs> never those those days are far behind you <laughs> oh so gone so I'm like don't even look at me okay thanks bye <laughs> so a couple of uh, books to review. One is already out. We'll get to it in a minute. Uh, the other one is out next week from Image Comics. It is the new uh, issue of Commanders in Crisis, written by uh, Steve Orlando with art by David Tinto. Uh, so we kind of are seeing the fallout of last issue with um, everybody basically abandoning Frontier. Um, we see her attempting to get the band back together. And we also see um, the, the other characters, the other heroes, kind of still being heroes, just not together. Um, yeah. I've, got, I've got some things. I'm, try, I, I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, but, uh, Matt, what were, what were your thoughts? Um, I liked how this one gave us action, but at the same time was still very focused on the fallout of what Frontier said um, and and how that looks like it's going to play out and changes not just the team dynamic, but like the entire world. Um, I, I think, I mean, I... I would like to say that I would see something different than the stereotypical, like, oh, we're all going to come back together to defeat evil at the end. Um, but I think that's what's going to happen. Um, but it's going to be a an uneasy journey to get there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of see what you're, what you're saying, and, and I agree. I mean, and that's... I mean, that wouldn't be the first superhero trope that this book has has used. And I think that um, Steve Orlando is using these superhero tropes, you know, to his advantage. Um, you know, and, and you're absolutely right. Like, you, with every superhero team-up crossover event, you know, they, there is always some kind of conflict that brings people apart. And then there's the eventual, you know, reunion and then you know, the superhero pose and action and whatever. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm perfectly cool with it. I love this team. Um, I will say there is a character in this issue um, named Mitch, and I am going to go ahead and assume that Steve Orlando named that character after me. Um, that's just my assumption, but it's also now my head cannon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, and I, I know I said earlier, like the, the team have kind of started to do things on their own. Uh, that's not entirely true. There was one scene where uh, Sawbones and Seer uh, worked together, um, mm -hmm. which was interesting because it's like you didn't, I don't remember seeing 
those two like interact as much as I've seen other <laughs> pairings of you know of this team. Yeah, but but I guess that was also cool to kind of get that other dynamic and see you know like other you know friendships or relationships or you know what have you. Um, also, with Commanders in Crisis, uh, the first arc. Uh, is going to be released as the uh, as a trade on May fourth of twenty twenty one. So, if you haven't uh, read any of this book yet, uh, what's your problem? You need to. Uh, but uh, either go back and get the other issues, or wait until May and get the whole collection. Also, uh, out now from Source Point Press is Dead in Kids: The Suburban Job Number One. Uh, I've talked about it about a bazillion times. Uh, it's written by Frank Gogol with art by Nanid uh, Kvetekinen. And, uh, yeah, like this, so this story, it takes place, uh, well, it starts off in 2001. And anybody who remembers 9-11, uh, like the second page, um, brings back about 7,000 emotions. Um, from there... It jumps forward uh, a few years, and then, so this book follows Brian, Dez, and Amna, uh, who used to be friends, they're not friends, um, and without spoiling anything, even though this issue's already out, uh, the end of the issue, something happens that is going to kind of force them to work together. Uh, I know I've been kind of a... Uh, Frank Gogol fanboy for the better part of a year now. So Matt, I want to, I want to start with you uh, again. What, what were your thoughts on this issue? Um, I love this. Um, I love that the, I, I love that just in this first issue, you get like, you can see that this, this bigger plot is developing. You're not exactly sure all of what's going on. And at the same time, you get three introductions to three very different characters that are all done like so very well um between the art and the dialogue you get a pretty good idea of who these three characters are from the get-go and i love that i think that's great because you can see that there is going to be some conflict in these three characters just because who they are they, as different people. Um, and then the fact that they kind of get thrown together at the end, knowing that they're going to have to work together is going to be, it's going to be really cool to see how that all plays out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of the, the three characters and, you know, kind of how they, you know, like live different lives and all that, it's like, it's interesting and, you know, even heartbreaking a little bit uh, to see how 9-11 had changed these three individuals' lives uh, in so many different ways. Um, yeah. you, you know, you've got, you've got Amna, who is, uh, you know, the target of um, racial prejudice. Uh, and then what Brian's, uh, one of Brian's relatives, like, died in the war. Yeah. yeah. And and then uh, Dez's and then a member of Dez's family uh, died in nine eleven. Yep. So um, so yeah, just to see how you know 
how something so huge and affect you know has affected you know the country as a whole uh, something that we don't really see because you know at, at least speaking for myself uh, I didn't have anybody who was you know actually connected to 9/11 you know like I, I didn't have I didn't have any of the personal fallout that these three characters have had so it's yeah. it's interesting to kind of see that perspective mm. so a uh, couple of press releases to talk about. Uh, the first one, uh, so the Oni Lion Forge Publishing Group has announced the 10th anniversary edition of Ray Fox's uh, One Soul, as well as the new follow-up One Line, uh, both available this year. Uh, One Soul tells the, sto- uh, tells the stories of 18 individuals whose, uh, 18 individuals throughout history whose lives unfold simultaneously. It's a uh, pretty unique concept. So each page, or it's uh, the story is completely comprised of like double page spreads with eighteen panels, uh, featuring each with each panel featuring one character's life. Oh, wow! So yeah, so with every page, you're getting eighteen different stories. Uh, mm. Similarly, uh, one life will tell stories of eighteen different families throughout four centuries, uh, showing how traditions, ethics, and prejudices are handed down from generation to generation. Um, I have honestly never even heard of uh, one soul before I read this press release, but this sounds really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. that sounds like a lot, but in like a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, also, Z2 has announced their upcoming graphic novel. Among the Living, uh, which is based off of the 1987 Anthrax album. Uh, All four members of the classic Anthrax lineup will uh, contribute, as well as some heavy hitters in the comics world, including uh, Brian Azzarello, Grant Morrison, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Gerard and Mikey Way. Wow. Yeah. All right. uh, Speaking of a little bit of comics news, Matt, you've got uh, some more X-Men news this week. I do. So it wasn't just enough last week that we found out that the readers are going to get to pick the final member of the new X-Men crew. Um, But starting February 3rd through the 14th, um, you can log into your Marvel Insider account if you have one, or you can go to marvelinsider.com, I believe, and make one. Um, and they are having a sweepstakes where you can enter to become drawn into an X-Men comic. Um, so you will, if I understand it correctly, um, if you you enter, if you win, you will be shown as a character, not an X-Men, but just a character, um, in this Hellfire Gala where the entire team of X-Men will be announced. Um, it costs 2,500 points from your Marvel Insider account. Um, but the article did say not to fear if you don't have 2,500 points. There's enough stuff that you can do right away when you log in that you can easily rack up the 2,500 points. Um, apparently, there's like a video that you can watch, which is like a half hour, which is like 1,500 points right off the bat or something. So um, shouldn't be too hard to get those. Get your entry. And you can only enter once but shouldn't be too hard to get your points if you do want to enter. Um, and the winner will be announced uh, by the end of the month. That sounds awesome. And I know what I'm doing when I get done editing tonight's episode. 
Right? <laughs> Got to remember my uh, Marvel Insider login info here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's get into some gut reaction. Oof, gut reaction. And we're going to start again with Matt. Uh, we've got more out of the uh, world of Cloverfield. Uh, we do, apparently. So, Hollywood Reporter um, has found out that J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot are going to be bringing us, yes, a fourth Cloverfield movie. And I read this, I was like, four? This is going to be the fourth? How many are it? Like, I had to, like, I had to think about which ones the other ones were. Um, Joe Barton, who was the writer for The Ritual... Um, at this point, it looks like he's going to be writing the script. Uh, Abrams will produce, and the rumor is that it will be a sequel to the original. Uh, no word if that means it's going to be like a uh, tangentially related, or if it's going to be a direct sequel to the original Cloverfield. But either way, we're getting more monsters, more Cloverfield. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen anything but the first one. I still kind of like to go back and watch the others. Um, I'm going to go thumb sideways just because I don't know. The other two weren't enough to intrigue me to like watch them. So is this one going to be enough to bring me back to the series? Uh, I'm also going to go thumb sideways. Uh, I loved the first one and I never got around to watching the, the other two. Uh, I think I lost a lot of the excitement for those uh, movies because they weren't direct sequels. Um, they were just kind of like in the Cloverfield universe. So mm -hmm. if this, if this book is, or book, if this movie is <laughs> a, uh, like a direct sequel and if it's even, if it's another found footage, you know, movie, that would be even better. Uh, but if it's a, like a direct sequel to Cloverfield, then yeah, I'm all about it. Tabitha. Um, I've seen the first Cloverfield movie, and found footage movies make me vomit, so thumbs down. We don't need any more ever. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, Tabitha, let's talk about Michael Bay Jordan. Um, funny you should mention that. My notes actually say Michael Bay Jordan. Um, so the new Amazon Alexa ad is supposed to debut at the Super Bowl, but it's out early. I don't know how Super Bowl's commercials work. Um, opens with a woman talking to the people who are trying to sell her an Alexa about how she can't think of a more beautiful vessel for the new Alexa to be in. And then she sees Michael Bay Jordan on the side of a bus and he is, um, it's like promoting like the new Tom Clancy movie that he's in or whatever. And she's like, oh, and then like she starts this whole long fantasy in her head of, Michael Bay Jordan taking the place of her Alexa. And other than his eyes, like, lighting up blue when you say, hey, Alexa, it's probably the greatest commercial that I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> it's like ABC family-style porn, but, like, in a Super Bowl commercial. And there's, like, one, like, super dirty joke, like, thrown in there that, like, if you're not an actual adult, you're not going to catch. Um... But I do want a Michael Bay Jordan, like, voice option on my Google and my Siri and my GPS. That's what I'm asking for for Christmas. So I'm giving this a giant thumbs up. It's funny, it's cute, it's creative, and it's Michael Bay Jordan. Matt. Despite knowing where I rank next to Michael Bay Jordan, um, I'm still going to give this a thumbs up because this is a clever, funny commercial. Um, 
especially with some of the, the humor that's tossed in. Um, just like you really kind of have to be paying attention to catch it. But uh, yeah, thumbs up for this. I, I mean, also like, I don't know. He, he does have one of those voices that is soothing, I guess, to listen to. <clears throat> so, Not the word I would use, but we'll go with it. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> um, you know, I, I want to give this a thumbs up. I haven't watched the commercial yet, but uh, I want to. But at the same time, I, I'm going to have to go thumbs sideways just because I don't like how and this isn't the first year that this has happened where like we see all these Super Bowl commercials before the Super Bowl. Like I get that we live in an age where not a lot of people even watch um, live TV anymore, but still like that's part of the fun of the Super Bowl is watching the commercials, but I digress. Yeah, I, saw uh, an, I, know, I saw an article today that was like, watch all the Super Bowl commercials now. Where's the fun in that? Exactly. Yep. You don't I mean, have to watch Tom Brady play the Super Bowl for the 555th year of his life. Okay, that's fair. And you get to watch all the commercials, which is arguably the best part. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we only had one trailer to talk about this week, so it came to gut reaction as opposed to doing a trailer takedown. But we have a trailer for the Punky Brewster revival. Um, I never watched the first one or I guess the original. Um, so maybe I was missing out on something, if nothing else, like the nostalgia factor. But I was not feeling this trailer, like, at all. Um, you know, Punky Brewster is a mom of three, and she's divorced, and oh, wait, but maybe not, because here's Dad, who is, you know, Freddie Prince Jr. Um, but yeah, I will not be streaming this on Peacock. Thumbs down. Tabitha. Um... Not even Freddie Prince Jr. is enough to make me want to watch this. The only Punky Brewster episode I remember is the one where they're, like, discussing the Challenger explosion. And I feel like that episode traumatized me more than the actual Challenger explosion. So I still have a lot of feelings about Punky Brewster because of that. So I'm going to go thumbs down. <laughs> Matt? Um, I also go, am going thumbs down. I never watched the original uh, so as far as the nostalgia factor, it's completely lost on me. Um, and honestly, like the whole part of the trailer where she's like, Hey, we're going to take in this ragamuffin kid and raise them as our own. Like, so we're just repeating Punky Brewster again, but today with Freddie Prince Jr. No, thanks. Uh, so Star Trek Lower Decks was nominated for, two NAACP Image Awards, uh, one for Outstanding Animated Series, and one for Outstanding Voiceover Performance uh, for Don Lewis, who voices Captain Carol Freeman. Uh, huge thumbs up. I love this series, and good for them. Tabitha. Yeah, huge thumbs up. Like, this may be my favorite Star Trek TV show. Like, I don't know who I am anymore, <laughs> but thumbs up. Matt. Uh, yeah, huge thumbs up for this. Um, this is a great series and it probably the only TV series that we've watched as it came out. <laughs> so what does that tell you about how good it is? <laughs> uh, Matt, let's talk about Buck Rogers. So they've been trying to do a revival of Buck Rogers for quite a while. 
Um, but the Hollywood Reporter has gotten some intel that George Clooney has basically signed on to executive produce this revival. Um, along with that rumor comes the fact that because he's George Clooney, he just might star in said revival as well. Um, Legendary Pictures is kind of behind this, uh, and they have said that they are looking to develop this, surprise, surprise, into a franchise that will grow into a, quote, prestige television series as well as an anime series. Um, I don't, I never... I can't do that for you. I don't know why Siri's answering anything. Um, but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Um, I, I never watched any of the original Buck Rogers, but I don't know. I'm going to go thumb sideways because I do like most of the stuff that George Clooney does or works on. Um, and I don't know, this is classic sci-fi. So if they redo it well, it could be good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go thumb sideways on it. I'm not super excited about, you know, like, them calling it a prestige television series or whatever. It's making it sound higher class than it probably will be. <laughs> um, but at the same time, George Clooney does kind of pique my interest a little bit. Uh, I wish that um, George Clooney was, like, executive producing a revival of Duck Dodgers. Ooh. <laughs> that I would watch all day. Now you're talking. <laughs> Tabitha. Um... Do you remember the robot? Yes. Okay. So when you said George Clooney, I was like, is George Clooney going to voice the robot? Because that would actually be kind Whoa. of entertaining. <laughs> that robot's voice. That's the only thing I know from Buck Rogers, and it's kind of creepy. I had, to, I had to look it up to remember its name. I couldn't at all. Um, I watched Buck Rogers a lot when I was a kid. Couldn't tell you why. It was just one of those things that was on. But it's another one of those things I don't think we need a reboot for, so thumbs down. Tabitha, what's Elon Musk up to? Um, he's just busy being the worst human being on the planet. No big deal. <laughs> right? Okay, so... I'm gonna try not to get on my soapbox. I'm gonna try real hard, but I make no promises. Um, Elon's company, Neuralink, has implanted devices into monkeys to make them play video games. They're trying to develop an interface that will allow people to play video games with their minds slash their thoughts. Um, it's a technology implant that can read the activity of your neurons, thanks to, you know, electrodes and fibers and microscopic things that I don't know about because I'm not Elon Musk. Um, last year, I remember hearing about how he implanted a wired version of this into a pig named Gertrude. Um, and now this time it's in a monkey, unnamed, and it's wireless. Um, Elon has stated, I'm gonna quote here, the monkey looks and acts totally normal and happy. And you can't see where the implant is, nor is the monkey uncomfortable. Okay. So Musk has said that the primary use for the device will be to enable people with brain or spinal injuries to control robotic devices, bringing them better quality of life, which I'm all for. But he also eventually, he believes that this will eventually help humans use with machines and help us all just evolve into cyborgs. Um, I am all for furthering science, but I just feel like the last thing monkeys want to do is sit around and play Elon Musk's video games with their minds. 
And nobody asked for that. Like, if you want to play around with brain chemistry on sentient beings, build yourself a sentient robot first and then put a human brain in it like any self-respecting mad scientist. Um, (laughs) And don't use monkeys or find volunteers because there are literally people who are like cultists for Elon Musk that would literally let you implant this in their brain would sign waivers, would not care. Like, why are we subjecting these poor animals to your bullshit? So I'm giving the furthering of science a thumbs up as always, but Elon Musk just, I'm going to need him to relax, man. Like, I get it. You only got so much time on earth to use your big brain, but bro, you can't do everything at once. Calm down. Matt. There's so much to unpack here. I really just don't even know. Um, let's just go thumbs sideways and say that it's just weird. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going thumbs down. I don't, I do not want to be upgraded. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Elite, elite. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, back in 2015, and I feel like we may have talked about this, uh, but back in 2015, News got out that Netflix was working on a live-action Zelda series. Uh, but I guess it turns out that Nintendo was none too happy about this. So Adam Conover, who you may know as from uh, Adam Ruins Everything, sure. was involved on a claymation adaptation of Star Fox that was going to uh, also premiere on Netflix. But when the leak came out... And news got out that they were developing this Zelda series, and Nintendo was like, mm, no thanks, brah, and pulled out of both projects. So uh, I'm giving a thumbs down, um, because A, on Netflix's part, come on, dude, you know, like, keep things under wraps. But at the same time, Nintendo, I mean, it was just a simple mistake. I know I personally wouldn't have wanted a Zelda series, but I'm sure people would have. Tabitha. I'm over video game adaptation, movie, TV. Just let let it go. Stop trying to make fetch happen. Thumbs down. <laughs> Matt. Um, I'm going thumbs down for Nintendo basically being a crybaby and, like, stopping work on this because word got out that they were thinking about doing this. Like, in the world and society and the internet today, like... Basically, unless you are, um, what's his, the what's, what's that one director that I don't know, like, uh, or unless you're like Marvel and able to just like keep the name of your, you know, ultimate movie secret as long as you want, like, I, this stuff is gonna leak. Like, information is gonna get out, and honestly, most of the time, that kind of stuff helps build hype for whatever product they're trying to push so i'm going thumbs down for nintendo for deciding that they just got made fun of on the playground and wanted to go sit (laughs) by the wall and not talk to anybody (laughs) (laughs) so uh matt the last story that we have for gut reaction uh it's a it's a good food story so what's uh what's uh fruity and cocoa pebbles doing uh, it is a good food story if you like fruity pebbles or cocoa pebbles. Um, a 
apparently Fruity Pebbles and Cocoa Pebbles debuted 50 years ago. Oh my. Right? Um, so in celebration of that 50 years, they are releasing two ice cream flavors. Um, the Fruity Pebbles will feature a fruity cereal milk light ice cream with rice cereal bits coated in color fruity flavors. The Cocoa Pebbles light ice cream is made with both chocolate and cereal milk light ice cream swirled together with chocolate uh, rice cereal pieces. Uh, this is light ice cream. It has half the fat and a third the calories of regular ice cream. Uh, 48-ounce container is $5.99, which seems a little expensive, but I don't buy ice cream that often. Uh, and a 14-ounce container for $2.99. I don't know how... I, I, I would do the Cocoa Pebbles probably because I'm a chocoholic, but I don't know that I would do the Free Pebbles one. Like... I don't know. Kind of cool. We'll go thumbs up because fun food story. Uh, I'm going opposite of you, Matt. <laughs> uh, I don't even. I honestly don't even know that I've ever had cocoa pebbles, but I love me some fruity pebbles. In fact, I got uh, I got the Malto Meal brand of fruity pebbles recently because it was on sale, and <laughs> I'm probably gonna have a bowl of that when I, uh, when, you know, as I'm editing tonight. Uh, but yeah, I'm all about this. I would buy this in a heartbeat. Thumbs up, Tabitha. Um, Tiny Tabitha used to take Prairie Farms ice cream and sprinkle the Malto Meal Free Pebbles cereal on top of it. So this is literally made for me. Um, because your girl didn't have sprinkles at home. So that was how she made sprinkles. And I didn't know the difference. So poor kid sprinkles, man. I'm telling you. Um, huge thumbs up. I don't think I've ever had the chocolate ones. Yeah. It tastes like every other chocolate cereal. Like Cocoa Krispies, it's basically the same as Cocoa Krispies. Yeah, I was never like a big, like, I don't know. I was never a big chocolate kid. Like now, um, most of the time when I want chocolate, I only want it mixed with peanut butter. So maybe if you put a scoop of peanut butter in there, you get it. Make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tabitha. We haven't had a good Baby Yoda, use Baby Yoda news desk in a while. Okay, so I typed out my notes at work and then ran what I was going to say by my coworker just to make sure I wasn't being super rude. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, so spoilers are ahead. spoilers for whoever hasn't seen the last Mitch, have you seen the last episode of season two of The Mandalorian? Yes. Okay, so Baby Yoda, because I still refuse to call something that cute Grogu. Um, <laughs> takes off with CGI Mark Hamill at the end of uh, season two. So he's gone. He's going to go complete his Jedi training. The internet has realized that this may mean no Baby Yoda in season three. I will have a hard time watching because it will just be Mando being sad about his child, but it's fine. Um, but now his quest is completed. Where does he go from here? So he's got the Darksaber. Moff Gideon is still alive for absolutely no reason. And now Mando is the accidental ruler of Mandalore. And he's made Bo-Katan real mad. And he doesn't want it. And, like, all that sounds super interesting. But is it enough without Baby Yoda? So usually it's people with babies who are boring. But now I think it's going to be just a whole season of man misses baby and is sad but still has to do stuff. And, like, that doesn't sound great to me. <laughs> like, I feel like it's going to be one of those things where it's, like, 
he's in a battle and he's fighting and he like looks over and there's like a ball on the ground or like a round rock and then we see like a flashback to him being like oh Grogu playing with the ball on the shuttle that I told him he couldn't play with or he's gonna be like walking in a desert and he's gonna step on a frog and then he's gonna just break down and cry on the ground <laughs> I feel like that's gonna be the entirety of season three and I don't want to watch that why is there a frog in the desert Walking and he's gonna take his big old Mandalorian boot. He's gonna squish a frog and he's gonna miss, he's gonna miss Baby Yoda, or he's gonna you know run into what's her name and the mechanic lady and she's gonna be like, but where's the baby? And he's gonna have to be like, oh, he's off with CGI Mark Hamill, and then she's gonna be really <laughs> upset and they're gonna have to have a whole moment about it. It's just gonna be a season of him talking about how he doesn't have Baby Yoda anymore, like, but also all this other stuff. Also. Why is Moff Gideon still alive? Like, I've never been so mad that someone was not dead in my entire life. I'm sure that you've been more angry. I mean, about fictional people, not real people. Because <laughs> real people, yes, I often wonder why lots of people are still alive. But, like, on a TV show, like, there was just no reason for him to still be alive. Mando has no problem just, like walking up and killing folks, but, like, the guy who stole his baby, he's like, man, you're all right, man, you can live. Hang out on this bridge with me. Why? Why are you here? <laughs> the second you saw him, you would kill him. Like, what kind of parent are you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't... I can't remember if I've shared this with you guys, but, you know, it is... It, season three is going to be interesting for a lot of different reasons, in my opinion, because especially, like... Even if we do have uh, some Baby Yoda scenes, I, I he's not going to be as um, as featured as he has in the first two seasons. At least I don't think. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. Like, can this series uh, still be, you know, as addicting or you know whatever? Can it still hold on to everybody's grasp if there's no Baby Yoda? Yeah, like, I have this I have this feeling that we're going to probably not get Baby Yoda in the first couple of episodes. And maybe this is just, you know, me wishing, hoping, praying, and dreaming. But, like, <laughs> I think that he's going to be in a bad situation. And we're going to, like, skip ahead, like, some years. And he's going to be in a bad sitch. And he's going to be like, this is how I die. And then in floats Baby Yoda to be like, pow, 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 like Jedi tricks. Like, I'm a fully formed, almost fully formed Jedi now. Let me help my dad. Like... I feel like that's what's going to happen. And then it's going to be like a buddy cop movie for a couple episodes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Or is it going to be not baby Yoda, but like angsty teen Yoda? That's not how time works for the Mandalorian, though, because baby Yoda's 50 and he still looks like a toddler. So if he's a teenager, Mando's been dead for like 50 years. Uh, like, <laughs> not going to get like teenage group. Oh. Yeah, you're right. I am rude. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, <laughs> so speaking of CGI Mark Hamill, um, Elizabeth Olsen uh, spoke to TV Line about WandaVision, and uh, she was asked whether the show would get a Luke Skywalker moment, and she simply responded yes, uh, before following up with saying that there are so many surprises left in store. Let's be honest. It's the MCU. Of course, something big is going to happen. But don't tell me, you know, flat out that you're going to have something as huge and as, as unexpected as it was seeing Luke Skywalker at the end of The Mandalorian. Because now I'm expecting something huge, and it's going to not 
I, I say this now, but when it happens, I probably will still like squeal like a little, you know, like a giddy little schoolgirl or whatever. Uh, I I didn't like that. I didn't like that phrase at all. <laughs> nope. But <laughs> but um but no, but like you know, I I'm sure that I will have that like moment of glee. But like as of right now, it's like no, like. I, regardless of how much I feel like it's been tarnished and I'm not going to have that same moment of like, Oh, what now it's going to be like, Oh, well, Scarlet, which already told me it was going to happen. So, okay. <laughs> but Scarlet, Mitch, Scarlet, 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 Mitch. Scarlet, Mitch. <laughs> um, just found this week's uh, title and it better be a picture of you as your head where uh, Elizabeth Olsen's head is. <laughs> so first, first it was Ursula. Now it's now it's Scarlet Witch. Like, <laughs> it's just the, it's the way the cookie crumbles, man. I don't know what to tell you. If if I ever if I ever decide to like do drag or whatever, like, well, first I'd have to shave, but second, I guess I already have like a couple of like you know characters ready to go. <laughs> yeah, <it's> true. <laughs> anyway, as you were saying, Matt. I was going to say about Scarlet Witch messing with reality. That was where I was trying to go with that three years ago. Uh. But, ooh. Yeah, what if, what if nothing big does happen and it's because Scarlet Witch was messing with us? Yeah. Yeah, I'd be down. You with know that. what uh, messed with Matt about, uh, about, uh, <laughs> about WandaVision about uh, a week ago? We're watching the TV, and I was like, man, sometimes when they pan out real far, it confuses me, because she looks so much like an Olsen twin. And he's like, Olsen twin? I was like, yeah, Mary-Kate and Ashley. And he's like, oh, Matt had no idea. It was, the, it, was, no. it was the most intensely silent moment in this house that has ever occurred, because I thought he was messing with me. And he was not messing with me. He straight up did not know. But then now all he can see is Olsen twins. Yeah, it really bothers me. Like all I can see is all I can see is the crack feed in Mary Kay and Ashley Olsen. It's so disturbing. <laughs> uh, everywhere you look. Um. <laughs> I forgot my bell. Ring. That was so well played, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of things that are uh, well played, Matt, you've got some Magic the Gathering news. I do. Uh, so, you know, this is just one of those things about Magic that kind of continues to blow my mind. Um, Magic the Gathering debuted in 1993, and in the Alpha set, was a card called Black Lotus. Black Lotus has become one of nine cards that is banned from competitive play uh, because it has been deemed too powerful. Um, in 2019, a version of this card, well, an alpha version, so like the original deck, uh, sold for $166,000 at auction. Wow. Which, that alone blows my mind because you can't, use this card in competitive play. So what are you going to use this card for other than collect it? Um, well, it gets, it gets crazier because on eBay just recently, a version of this card 
in a case which was signed by the illustrator Christopher Rush sold for $511,100. Over half a million dollars for this card that you cannot play in Magic the Gathering competitive. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. I mean, I, I wish that I had that much money that I could be that financially irresponsible. <laughs> right. Even if I had that much money, that is the one of the last things I would spend that amount of money on. And and also, I mean, yeah, this is coming from somebody who's never even played Magic the Gathering, but I feel like that's kind of dumb that this card can't be played in competitive matches because it's like, if you have the card, you have the card. Like, you know, you... I, I, gonna- right? Yeah, like, if I'm going to collect, if I'm playing Magic and there's a card that I want which would help complete a deck and it's going to cost $100 and it makes the deck, as far as I can see, unbeatable, maybe it's worth it because you win some money on competitions. But half a million dollars for a card that you can't play? Yeah, no. I, but why? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all good. Um, Tabitha, let's talk about a special guest that came to a book club reading. Okay, so first of all, Barack Obama is the greatest thing that's ever happened to America. We all acknowledge that. Um, um, even more so than Lin-Manuel Miranda? Um, ooh. Ooh, I, um, technically, um, never mind. Um, yes, I stand by it. Um, <laughs> That was an inner, tur- like the inner turmoil that just happened there it was intense. I, I feel um, sorry for putting you through that. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Like I'm scratching now, and like I'll probably be thinking about this in like the next six hours, and I won't sleep. And I'm texting you at one a.m. to wake you up. Um, <laughs> Obama's book, A Promised Land, came out recently, and being the gym that he is, he just kind of sporadically popped into a book club. Um, Mahogany Books, which is an independent black-owned bookstore, and Very Smart Brothers Book Club were discussing the book on January 26th, and they had been told that a member of Obama's administration would be joining them as a special guest. Surprise, it's Obama. Um, He said that he wanted to find a way to support an independent African-American bookstore. He answered questions and just literally hung out with them during their book club meeting. Um, he gave them some insight on like what it was like to write the book and edit the book. And, you know, he expounded on a couple of things that they had questions on and was just like generally his super chill, wonderful Obama self. And this brought so much joy in my heart. Like (laughs) I love Barack Obama. I have always loved Barack Obama. I will always love Barack Obama, but like cute stuff like this, where he's just like, the most laid-back human you will ever meet in your life, but also happen to just be a president. Like, he's a gem. He is a national treasure. Better than the Declaration of Independence. Great. Now Nick Cage is going to try to steal Barack Obama. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and it's going to be all my fault. <laughs> but, but, no, seriously, how cool is that? Like, especially, like... You know, like, to be somebody in that book club, like, thinking, like, okay, cool, so, like, uh, you know, Obama's former, I don't know, Secretary of the Interior, is that even a thing? Um, You know, like, okay, cool, so Obama's Secretary of the Interior is going to show up. Awesome. 
oh, wait, no, it's just actually Barack Obama. Cool. <laughs> right, like, what do you do? Like, a lot of people, like, I watched some of the video, and, like, a lot of people were like, Ugh. like, their mouths just dropped open, and people are like, oh, my God. I mean, I would be somewhere in the middle of, oh, my God, and my jaw dropping open. So just super cute, fun, yep. make you believe in humanity again kind of news. Have I, have I ever told you my Obama story? No. Okay. So going off on a slight tangent before we get to our last story. So um, this was back in the summer of 2004, I believe. I was working, uh, I was working part-time downtown and um, got off work one day. And I was just like milling around downtown with Miriam and we go like we're, we're walking down like an alley and we see this guy like with a photographer he's getting his picture taken you know whatever and i'm kind of walking i'm like who's that guy you know i say to miriam who and miriam's father was a um was a uh, lobbyist okay mm-hmm. so she knew a lot about illinois politics and all that kind of stuff and she's like oh yeah that's uh state senator barack obama so i'm like 10 feet away from this man who is going to eventually be the president of the United States. And I make fun of his name and we keep walking. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> sounds about right, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. That sounds like a Mitch story. <laughs> <laughs> so our last story of the night. So U S Senator and alleged Zodiac killer, Ted Cruz, uh, tried to be, <laughs> Uh, tried to be relatable on his show Verdict with Ted Cruz. Uh, so he was talking about how evil liberals want to take away everyone's jobs. And then he said this. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to say the whole passage, but just this last part. It says, and I have to say, it brought to mind Avengers Endgame. And, you know, uh, John Kerry uh, doesn't quite have the massive Thanos hands and fingers, but you can see the inevitable and the finger snapping. And actually, what is interesting in Endgame is curious. Have you ever noticed how in ha- have you ever noticed in how many movies how often rabid environmentalists are the bad guys? Whether it's Thanos or go to Watchmen, uh, where the view of the left is people are disease, they buy into the Malthusian line that there are too many people in the world and that people are bad and everything would be better if we had fewer people. I mean, Thanos wanted to eliminate 50% of the life forms of the universe with one finger snapping. Go home, Ted Cruz. You're drunk. That was such a rambling passage of dribble. Oh, my God. He just needs to disappear. <clears throat> what scares me about Ted Cruz is I don't think Ted Cruz believes the things Ted Cruz says. I think Ted Cruz is a lot smarter than we give him credit for, but he's from Texas, so he plays to his own audience because he knows the people that he represents will believe anything that falls out of his mouth, including whatever the hell that was. <laughs> um, I just, man, I don't know what scares me more, Ted Cruz or Texas. Te- <laughs> one and the same aren't they oh well sadly no like i really don't i really don't believe ted cruz is as dumb as ted cruz acts like he is i think ted cruz dumps himself down like a smart girl at at prom like like i just scares me but i think it's because he would make an excellent cult leader i mean (laughs) zodiac killer Uh, god what an idiot (laughs) 
But like, I just, I, I just, what gets me is just like how, and and it's not just because he used Avengers Endgame. Like, why do people feel the need to use like these kinds of pop culture references when they really don't fit in? Like, he was trying to make this reference work, and I, I don't think it worked. No, mm. it didn't. I mean, Ted Cruz is also the man who, like, the day after Biden like signed us back into the Paris Agreement, was like, "I just think it's funny how he cares more about the people of Paris than he does his own citizens." And like, someone had to literally explain to Ted Cruz what the Paris Agreement was. Maybe someone should explain to Ted Cruz what the actual like point of Thanos is, but not really, because then someone would have to talk to Ted Cruz, and I wouldn't want that on anyone. Yeah. I also like how he just assumes that Thanos, who is, you know, this entity, you know, from galaxies away, is a liberal. An environmentalist at that. Yeah. To be fair, when I walked out of that movie, the first thing I said was Thanos had good points. Um, Because (laughs) Thanos had good points. I'm terrified of one thing in this entire world, and it's overpopulation. Um, Ted Cruz is on the wrong train. (laughs) <laughs> He's driving his own train. Mm-hmm. Crazy train. Texans. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. When when he came to Springfield back in, well, I guess it would have been 2015. Um, I went to that rally. You guys remember that rally? Nope. No. Yeah, he had like a late night rally. Uh, you know that church that like. If you're on going like I fifty five north, like going towards Williamsville, mm-hmm. there's like that church that's right off. The, yeah, so it was that church, like at ten o'clock at night for some weird reason. But yeah, but you know, me being the person that I am, like it's like okay, well, this is you know somebody who's running for president who is in my hometown. I'm going to try to see them, and I did, and I was scared. <laughs> Rightfully so. Those are yeah. not your people, Mitch. They Those were, are not no, your people. They were not. They were. Is not. that the church that's in a pole barn? Like it looks kind of like a barn, like it's like an industrial-looking thing. I don't think so. I mean, it looks pretty churchy to me. I mean, it it to are, me it looks like a church. Are you thinking about the one? If you go north on fifty-five, are you thinking the one on the left side or the right side? Left side. Okay, uh, you're thinking of the big white one that's actually, like, just outside of Springfield, oh. not the one that's... The pole barn one is, like, Williamsville Church. It's, like, just outside of Williamsville on the right-hand side. Yeah. Pro tip, if your church is in a pole barn, it's a cult. Um, I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> I think that's probably a good spot to, to end this episode. <laughs> Uh, so that that's going to do it for this episode of The Geek Awakens. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, be sure to follow us on all the social medias. Um, while you're there, give us a uh, follow. Tell us what cool stuff we're missing out on. Any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot us an email at thegeekawakenspodcast at gmail.com. From all of us at The Geek Awakens, thanks for listening, and we hope to catch you next time. Everybody, say bye. Bye. bye.